Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with my very special guest, Raj Subramayer. Hey there, Raj, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of insight into not only who you are, but what I like to do is have people pump themselves up before we push them back down. <laughs> so setting a little bit of context, right? So that's where we're getting to. So first of all, a lot of people are going to ask this even after the podcast recording or listening to the podcast. Why is this guy having a really different last name? It's Subra Meyer. So the quick 30 second story behind that is I'm South Indian and my original name, last name was Subramanian, which is like the John Smith of South India. Every freaking person has Subramanian. And then I uh, dated and married a white American, Caucasian, Irish, German woman whose last name was Wiesmeyer, a German last name. And when we got married, we thought about creating our own legacy. So we combined Subramanian and Wiesmeyer and named it Subramayer. And that's why I have the last name Subramayer. It also helps in SEO as well, but that, I never even thought about it. But the point is uh, that's the story about my last name and my company's named Chai Latte Consulting because brown and white Chai Latte. So everything was uh, pretty intentional. So moving on from my last name. so. I grew up in the southern part of India from a place called Chennai, which is one of the five big cities in India, which actually fuels the revenue, the economy. And growing up, I was always an underdog because my dad, since he was born, he studied in scholarships. And then my brother, elder brother, five years older to me, he has three masters and a PhD. He's like a rocket scientist. And there I was the average kid who didn't do well in anything. You name it, sports, dating, academics. I was average in everything. So I constantly kept comparing myself with other overachievers around me. And every time I tried to do that, I ended up getting disappointed because I realized you can never live up to people's expectations. So all this constant experience of trying to prove to people I'm good, made me get into a shell. I felt like an outcast. I was a shy introverted kid. And this kind of continued throughout my childhood. Then I had a trigger event where I came to a realization that all this while I was living a life based on other people's opinions. I was letting other people's opinions be my reality. And that's where I realized, you know what? Screw people, screw society. I know I have my own strengths and I am going to carve my own identity. I'm going to strive for greatness. And since then, fast forwarding, what, 2020, two years down the line, I have transformed my life from a shy introverted kid earning a minimum salary into an international keynote speaker, author, and tech career strategist. So that's kind of the quick summary of uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And today, I am a tech career strategist, so I help people specifically in the tech space to find their dream job and become successful leaders in the industry. And uh, I've been in the tech space for over 17 years now. I help people get unstuck in their careers, have transformative personal life 
career goals and career path as well. So that's kind of the whole summary of what I do, my background as well. Well, that sounds super interesting. I was wondering, and then you kind of answered it, why you didn't go with Super Meyer, because that sounds even more superheroic, but you were the underdog, so maybe you didn't feel like you earned it at that point, possibly. Now, some people do call me that, and I go with it because it sounds super cool. It's a good hashtag or something. I do have a hashtag, the Super Myers. That's what we did during our wedding. <laughs> and then we literally used it as a last name after we got married as well. At what point did you actually realize it seemed like you're saying basically you lived your life based on someone else's blueprint or someone else's, you know, kind of how you live a life? What was the what was the straw that broke the camel's back? How did you break free of that uh, mindset? So it was a trigger event, which I was talking to you about. So I still remember the moment vividly. I was in my study room and then my chest started hurting and the pain was increasing minute by minute. All these feelings which had bottled up inside me for the first 19 years of my life, it, it just broke open. And then all these feelings which were inside me came out. And for two hours, I was crying profusely because that's when I started realizing that, man, what am I doing with my life? You know, I'm not doing anything. I am wasting away my life. I've been trying to please other people and no one cares about me. What am I doing? Yeah. So do you, are you the kind of person who also has trouble expressing feelings or acknowledging your own feelings? Yes, I was. I was. Again, I grew up in an Asian community. And for those of the Asian descent and Asian listeners you have or viewers, they um, they can understand that there's a lot of pressure from your family. They say you have to suck it up and keep going. Right. You have to bottle your feelings and you're a man. Mm -hmm like a man so we are trained that way so us feeling our emotions was not a thing but then at that point when i had the trigger event it was just this uncontrollable emotion which came out even if i wanted to suppress it and that's when i realized you know what i'm human and it's okay to be emotional and that's where i was saying that i don't care about what other people are going to think i'm just going to do things based on what i feel is right for me because you get only one life and if COVID has taught us one thing, life can change in an instant. So that's when I realized, okay, you know what? It's time. Because this is the thing. Most of the people always have this uh, low point in their life, okay? Irrespective of your background. Mm -hmm. And then they dealt with two, two choices. One is recognize your feelings and then figure out what to do about it. How can we change it? Or the second option is recognize the feelings and then continue to live the same life. And unfortunately, a lot of people do that. But luckily at that moment, when I was 19, I chose the first option and the rest is history. Like literally my entire life since then has been trying to experiment with things, then facing different failures, facing different successes. And it's all about experimentation since then. So I'm kind of on the flip side of you, meaning I was grew up in an Irish Catholic family, so we didn't talk about feelings, but only because we stuffed them down until they became like a, you know, a black hole in our bodies. Yep. And then eventually had to come out, but it was kind of the opposite thing. We didn't acknowledge that they existed and, you know, it eventually all came bursting out. I realized I was only able to cry during movies because that was an acceptable time to cry based on what I'd seen from like the, the older people growing up. But what you were just saying about people staying in what they don't, like, I think there was a, I don't know if I'm getting the number right, but something like two thirds of dentists don't want to be dentists. 
But why are they still dentists? Because they spend so much time putting in the effort to become a dentist. And then they don't realize that essentially all of that time spent there is a gift from your prior self. And if someone gives you a gift that you don't want, you do not have to accept it. And so they could easily walk away today, but most of them are still going to stay and do dentistry for the rest of their lives, even if they hate it, because they get stuck in that job and they get, you know, either that fight or flight or they get the, you know, they think the unknown is too scary. And so is there something you'd say to somebody that's in that kind of position where they're wondering about, should I stick with the boring thing that everyone told me is going to be good? Or how do I know that doing something else will be right? Yeah, that's a great point. And before I answer that question, I need to piggyback off, piggyback off what you said. I don't. I think that's not only true for people who are dentists. I think a lot of people who have nine to five jobs, or even entrepreneurs, you know, who are running their own business, they're doing it because of what other people say, or they think, okay, this is, you know, it's too hard for me to make a change. I'm just going to live my life doing this, right? And that's the problem. That's so true in so many different ways. I picked accounting. I didn't even know what accounting was when I picked it, honestly. So what's that? I picked accounting. Uh, accounting an undergrad and i did not even know what accounting was because they didn't really tell you what it was at that point and then i realized i hated it way later so yeah you, sometimes you just get stuck because you didn't know you weren't informed and you mentioned the fear of unknowns and that's a great point because i wanted to talk about it so a lot of people do not want to take the next step because of the fear of the unknowns what if i fail what if this does this, this not work out but they are under this false notion that whatever they're doing right now is permanent, secure, which is not the truth. Because if COVID has started one thing, uh, say you're in the tech space and then you, you have a job in Microsoft or Salesforce, they thought, okay, my life is settled, my job is safe. But even they laid, laid off thousands of people, Salesforce, Microsoft, Airbnb. So the point is, if you think your job is secure, you're just kidding yourself because in life, there's no security, there's only opportunity. So when you realize that, okay, there's no security on this earth, but it's just about figuring out different things, you can face your fears better, right? So when you take the next step, it's not that you're always gonna just face failures. There are also gonna be a lot of successes. But the thing is, instead of thinking about failures or successes, you have to focus on the journey because it's about the journey, not the destination. So what do I mean by that is, say, for example, we were, you were just telling me that you saw my TEDx talk and to get to that level, it took me like 12 to 14 years. Okay. Immediately when I got into, decided to become a speaker, I it's not that I got my TEDx talk. It's not that I gave a TED talk. The point is, it took me a lot of failures throughout the journey of becoming a speaker to finally give my give a talk on one of the biggest stages. And during the process, I had a lot of successes and failures as well. But the point is, I was trying to look at it as a learning experience. And that's then when you start viewing success and failures through a different lens in terms of the journey, then your whole view changes. Then you, you taking the next step wouldn't be that scary. And in life, you take chances. When you take chances, good things happen and bad things happen. But if you don't take a chance, then nothing happens. So that is something you really want to keep in mind. And whenever you start something new, 
there's another thing which people are going to talk about is I have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I don't know whether to do this. The truth is, if you try anything new, you are going to have imposter syndrome because you haven't done that yet. Absolutely. So when I started getting into speaking, I had imposter syndrome. When I started my business, I had imposter syndrome. And as and when you get good at it, then when you move on to your next project, you're going to try something new, then you'll have imposter syndrome. So that is also like one of my failure learning moments, which is kind of aligned with the theme of this podcast, which is I was viewing fear and imposter syndrome as something negative. Mm -hmm. and, and let it and I let it consume me. And it, it it was restricting me from moving forward. But once I learned to embrace it and using it as fuel for me to grow, the, the whole perspective changed. In fact, in my first TEDx talk, did I steal it from you? I say fear is fuel. Use fear is fuel all the time. Was it you that I stole it from? Because I stole it from a TED talk. I'm pretty sure. And by stole it, I mean like I just remembered it. And then I looked it up later. Right. <laughs> Was it you? So in my first TEDx talk, yes, I do talk about using fear as fuel. I wrote it down already before you said it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. <laughs> my first talk was about one of the biggest things which people face, which is use, but you compare yourself with other people and then you want to become like someone. And if you're not able to become like someone, then immediately you become dejected, disappointed, get into anxiety, depression, and then suicide rates are really high. But what if, if you change your narrative and actually use comparison to fuel your growth, mm -hmm. right? And I talk about the three R's, which is uh, recognizing your current situation, researching what other people are doing that you're not doing, and then Third R is replacing some of your habits with what you have learned and then figuring out stuff. But the point here is it also, again, aligns with what I'm trying to say here, which is you have to embrace fear because if you don't have fear, then you're not going to do shit. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that, that's life because you need something to drive you and fear is a good driver. So what I would say is have a good relationship with fear. It's okay if you feel scared, if you, it's okay if you're anxious about, okay, what's going to happen next? That means you're going to try to focus more, yeah. right? And during that process, you could use methods like meditation and other stuff to calm your nerves a little bit, but you really need to have fear. You really need to have imposter syndrome. You really need to have the fear of the unknowns. That's when you're actually going to perform at your highest level. Yeah. I mean, they call it a comfort zone because you are comfortable in it. When you leave that comfort zone, you become uncomfortable. So that's a big part of what it is to grow, you know, and that, that fear, that constant worry about how things could go wrong. It's mostly a waste of time, but I like what you're saying about, cause I hate the term fake it till you make it. Um, I despise that. So I say, fail it till you nail it. And it seems like it's what you did with the public speaking stuff. You just kept going at it and looking at each, each uh, misstep as kind of like a, necessary stepping stone on the way towards where you want to be, which is uh, a public speaker. Yeah. And I don't know, probably your, uh, your listeners of yours do not know this. So till 2010, I had fear of public speaking. I was such a nervous wreck. In fact, I still remember this when I was in my eighth grade, I had this crush on a girl and it took me like two months just to say hi to her. So I was that type of nervous wreck. How good was the high though? How good did you nail that high? <laughs> I don't know, man. I was so nervous. I don't even remember what the hell happened, you know? Right. But the point is when I entered the tech space in 2004, 2005-ish timeframe, I still had this fear of like talking to 
groups of people uh, giving presentations. And, and then in 2011, I saw this email saying, we have this software conference happening in Seattle. You should come and join us. Just like the millions of other emails you'll get from conferences. Mm-hmm. I usually always delete it. But this time around, I just kept looking at the email because here I was telling myself that, you know what, I'm going to conquer my fears one by one. But I've never taken any action when it comes to speaking. And it was very nerve wracking for me. And uh, once in two days, I used to feel so anxious about, oh, my God, I had to give a presentation in front of three people in four days. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I was that type of person. I said, you know what? I really need to do something about it. So that day, for some reason, my mind said, okay, do this. And then I just swiped my credit card for $3,000 when I didn't have that much money to go to this conference in Seattle. What conference? Is it a conference we would recognize name of or no? No, you won't recognize the conference. It's it's a software testing conference. It was called... uh, Association of Software Testing. It's a conference which happens every year. But the point is, so Mm -hmm. I go there and then I started feeling slightly more comfortable because I had the fear of being judged. And there, everyone, no one knows me. So I felt free. And I attended some talks from good speakers and bad speakers. And frankly, attending talks from bad speakers really helped me because that's when I had this eureka moment, like an epiphany that, you know what? what better way than actually becoming a speaker mm-hmm. to get rid of my fear of public speaking? All of a sudden, I had this moment. Then I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. And then I networked with all the speakers at the conference. I took a lot of notes. And then in 2012, I started speaking in small, small meetup groups to get out of my comfort zone. Then in 2013, after seven months and 23 trial runs, I gave my first conference talk. And it was the huge, it was a huge hit. People started talking about this funny Indian dude. He's super motivational, but really great content as well. You should go check him out. And the rest is history. Fast forwarding to 2022, I've spoken at 100 plus conferences, done 20 plus keynote, done two TEDx talks. So the thing here is it all started with me trying to take that first step and pushing myself out of the comfort zone. There's a beauty in getting uncomfortable to become comfortable. That's what I tell people. Change starts with small, small steps. You don't have to do something crazy and big. You could just do one small step. The reason I'm saying this is a lot of people come and ask me, hey, how can I become a speaker like you? You know, you seem pretty natural, energetic, irrespective of what happens. How do you do this? Yeah, I I tell them it took me 15 years to get to who I am today. And I'm still a work in progress because I know the different things which I have to improve on, which other people do not notice. But the point is improving in different parts of your life, different aspects of life and overcoming some of your fears. It's a constant journey and you need to embrace it. Take that small step. And that's how change starts. Yeah. And then you grow your comfort zone. It actually expands as you push the boundaries of it, almost like a I don't know, an elastic band that's surrounding the... Yeah, it makes it more resilient. Exactly. To failures. And again, failures, say you tried something and you failed, it's not a waste of effort because you learn how not to do things, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is during the journey, you figured out, okay, this is something which I didn't want to do anyways, but I still did it. But 
I was doing another thing which was which piqued my interest. Why don't I focus on that another thing? So you are going to get a lot of these light bulb moments yeah. during that process. That's why don't consider it as success or failures. Consider it as a journey, which is a mixture of everything. And then when you trust me on this, and maybe you are also you may have the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Say for example, you're working so hard on something, then you achieve the results. You may enjoy it for one or two days. And then the next thing you're going to think about is, okay, what's next? For example, when I gave my TEDx talk, that was my goal all along. I did that. Then I was in a high on a high for two days. Then I think about what's next. That's what I'm saying. When you get the result, mm-hmm. you enjoy it for two days. But when you embrace a journey, it stays with you throughout your life. And you, it's transferable skills, which you can apply from one area to another. So that's why I'm stressing on focusing on the journey and not the results. Yeah. I mean, I think Tony Robbins said it where when a plane leaves to go to Hawaii from Boston or wherever, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. 99% of the time it's off course. They're always course correcting. They're always changing things to make sure that they're going to get there. Are they ever worried that they're not going to get to Hawaii? Are they ever worried that they're not going to be able to find the runway? No, because they know that they've got the experience and everything to lead them towards it. But most of the time they're off course and that's kind of what we're doing is we're finding our way. We're going off course a bit here and there and we find what works and what doesn't. But what I found is helpful is when you've experienced one of those failures, like let's say I sent out an email to everybody and had a bunch of spelling mistakes in it. Well, the next time that I look through it all and make sure there's no damn spelling mistakes in that email, I will be like, okay, the reason why I know this is because I, felt that pain before and you can kind of give yourself a little pat on the back for doing it right this time, you know, from learning from your past mistakes. The biggest point to your thing is that I mentioned before we got on here that I've been fired from every job I've had since graduating college. And I was going to write a book called why I'm happy. I was fired from every job I've had since graduating college or the power of fucking up or whatever you want to call it, because I needed to be fired six, six times before I would go off and do it on my own as an entrepreneur. I, could not get myself to go do that thing. But since they didn't want me and they made it unbearably clear that that's the case, then I had to go, you know, figure out how to do it on my own. And now I'm happier than I've been in a long time because I'm not following the blueprint. But for me, it took a lot of times running up against the wall and doing the same kind of things to realize, well, maybe there's another way. And I didn't even realize I was fired from all of them because corporate America, they can either, you know, you resign or whatever, they make you resign, or they just don't mention it to future employers so you can just make up whatever story you want. It took like five times before I was like, I didn't get to choose whether I left any of these jobs. And then mm-hmm. I started the podcast, and I got fired from another job during the podcast. So it's uh, all on brand, and now I'm finally embracing the fact that I need to be an entrepreneur. And so I want to do a lot of the things that you're doing in terms of like either being a speaker at conferences, I know it's harder these days, yeah. But I did want to touch on something that I, I remember from your speech about how many jobs you applied to and how many you got in. Oh, yeah. And I don't even understand why. Uh, so I'd just like you to retell that story, if you don't mind. So talking about failures, here's a real life example. So I came as an immigrant to the United States around the 2007 time frame. And then in 2008, the recession started. Lehman Brothers, for all the young folks, listening you may not remember 
a company called Lehman Brothers. It was one of the biggest financial firms in the world and then became bankrupt overnight. And literally there was like a landmark moment where it started the whole recession and getting jobs were really, really hard because as an immigrant, especially if you're in the United States, you need a work permit to be sponsored by a company if you want to legally work in the United States. But the problem was no one had any money. So the companies weren't ready to sponsor immigrants. So I had student loans. I'd come to America with a dream to, you know, figure out life and do things. And, and all of a sudden this happened. What do I do? So I was left with two choices, either go back with half of my students back to their native country, or the second option was do whatever it takes and figure out something from it. And luckily I chose the second option. And from the beginning of 2009 till the end of 2009, I applied for 1,293 jobs, one, two, nine, three jobs. Four per day. Yeah, and guess Ish. how many callbacks I got from it. Some pathetic amount. Yeah, I got four callbacks oh, from it. And then I got one job offer. I hope it was the first four you re you replied to as well. I hope it was like the, the earlier one. <laughs> Meaning how did which ones how did you even figure out which ones worked? Like what what was the breakdown of the four? Like why did they care versus that entire amount? Twelve ninety three. That's an insane amount of jobs to apply for. I know. So this is the thing. Frankly speaking, for the first 600 to 700 jobs, I had no clue of what I was doing, okay? I had one single resume, irrespective of what kind of job I was applying for. I was in panic mode. I didn't, I didn't have a strategy in place. I would just want to stay in the United States. I didn't want to go back, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to find a job. So the first 700 jobs. <laughs> the first 700, that's just crazy to say, but yes, okay. Was like so ad hoc. And, and this is how it was. I'll, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I'll get a call. They'll say, yeah, we're calling from Bank of America regarding the job you applied for. They won't mention which job you applied for. Now you have to assume what job you applied for. You probably would have applied for the job like four months ago. <laughs> and then it, because it, you know, it'd be weird to ask, okay, what job are you calling about? Then they'll think, okay, you're not interested. You have to like play the, play the question game and try to figure out what, what job it is. Yeah, but the point, I didn't know those strategies. And that's why right now I also... I know a lot of people are going through a similar kind of process and that's why, you know, I do what I do and also wrote a book to help people. Mm -hmm. But the point is only after the 700 job, then I started figuring out patterns in terms of what people are looking for, right? Some of the things would be having actual resumes with the right keywords for the job you're applying for, which I didn't have. Another thing is tracking your job application process, like have an Excel sheet and track which jobs you're applying for, where you're applying for. And again, there's a lot more strategies which you can always talk about, but now focusing on the this whole process, the four jobs were from the latter uh, 700th job plus, you know, and uh, and I converted one job out of it and that too, it was not a full-time job, but it was an internship. And then I worked my ass off to prove to people that I could do the job. And then within six months, luckily, a company chose to sponsor my work permit and the rest is history. Now I'm a U.S. citizen. But the point is, people are going to go through hard times, okay? 
And irrespective whether you're an immigrant or whether you lost your job, whether you know you're going through some personal problems, you are going go through hard times. But always remember that hard times do not last forever in most of the cases, right? And uh, there's you can always rebound back from it. I, I, I feel life is like a tennis ball, you know? Mm -hmm. So the lower it goes, it has to bounce back. And you just have to stick through the pain and then keep telling yourself, motivating yourself that, you know what? There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. And that's when real trans transformation can start because it's about shifting your mindset from a place of scarcity to abundance. What I mean by that is instead of just being in panic mode and victim mindset, you keep doing the work consistently, analyze what you're doing, experiment with different things, tweak different things, and just keep doing that. And at some point you are going to see results. And, the, and I am an average guy. If I can do this kind of transformation, anyone can do it. Trust me on that. It just takes a lot of effort, confidence, consistency, shift in mindset. But coming back to your the question, yes, I did apply for that many jobs. And then right now I'm in a, in a pursuit for, for helping people to understand that you don't have to apply for that many jobs, but there's a lot of strategy which is involved in it, getting the right job you want. And yeah, that's why I do what I do. But yeah, those were all testing times. And that was also one of the key moments in life, which proved to me that I'm a resilient person. And I can, and when you do the work consistently, then you can start seeing results. The problem in today's world is no one believes in the power of delayed gratification. So what do I mean by that? We see all these social media influencers with a picture of their Ferraris, with big bungalows, and then we want to become like them. But we don't know the background story, whether it took them 20 years to get to that stage, or they're having a false social media persona so that they don't, you know, they don't want to lose followers, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of effort which goes into it. And you cannot expect results immediately. Say, for example, you want to People join a gym and they'll think they want a six pack ab or lose 50 pounds in two weeks. No, that's not realistic un unless you get surgery. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned spreadsheet just a second ago. I teach Microsoft Excel online uh -huh. and to teach people that they got to take it slowly and it's a long slog learning how to use it. You, you can't just jump to the end. You got to learn all the pieces of it. And so that's how a lot of things are in life. And then you don't necessarily, when, a lot of people use the social media as their highlight reel. So of course you'll see only the good stuff. You don't know all the struggles that they had to do to get exactly. There. That's why you have to do the work, be consistent, even if you don't see the results, and then things will happen. Because again, you're going to learn a lot through the journey. For even say simple example of losing weight, mm -hmm. when you consistently do it, then you become more mindful. You start learning good habits on the way to losing weight. That's again. I keep stressing on the journey piece because that's what matters. The result does not matter because this is the thing. Say you want a six pack ab. And again, I'm not telling people that you have to lose weight and stuff. So I'm just giving this as an example. Well, you lost 50 pounds, right? Or whatever. I did lose 50 pounds. Yeah. yeah. And, but the point is, even if you, if, even if I hadn't lost 50 pounds mm -hmm. in that six months, which it took me to lose 50 pounds. I learned a lot of good habits. Even if I lost 25 pounds, it's still better than not losing any weight. That's where we need to realize that 
the results matter only to a certain extent, but it's about in the journey, what are the different small, small wins you get? You need to embrace that, cherish that, celebrate that. And that's what it's all about. And I'm a guy who loves experimenting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the 1,293 job story came in. Then my speaking story came in. And then, yes, you brought it up. I, January 1st, 2016, I was tired of being a huge kid. And I said, you know what, screw this. I'm going to lose weight. And then in six months, I lost 50 pounds in a natural way with no medication, no surgery. And uh, the mind is a great thing. You just have to show mind, show your mind who's, who's the freaking boss, right? Because we let the mind control us. Mm-hmm. But if you do it the other way around, the results you can achieve, it's just enormous. So one thing I didn't mention was when the trigger event happened, when at the age of 19, I literally took a paper and pen and wrote down all my fears. I had fear of being judged, fear of being ignored, fear of failure, fear of public speaking. And on the side of each of those fears, at that point, whatever I thought would be a solution, I wrote, wrote it down, what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. And then I started tackling each and every fear one by one. And my whole journey since then till now has been overcoming those fears one by one, right? And as part of that, I've become better as a pro- as the process of doing that. By the process of doing that, I've become better and still a work in progress. So if anyone has fears, just take small, small steps for small, small change. And that amplified for a long period of time, it's going to amount to a big change. So that's what you need to think about. Yeah. I imagine you're a big fan of Atomic Habits, if I had to guess, right? Yep, yep. And also, I'm going to call bullshit on you. You're not an average person. There's no chance you're average because not no average person applies to that many jobs, loses that much weight in that short of a time, faces their fear of public speaking by public speaking. So, you know, while you might think you're average, <laughs> yeah, I'm. A- you're a little bit extreme. I go the other way. I, I'd apply for like one job and I'd get it, you know? Cause it was easy for me to interview or whatever, but so I'm on the other extreme. I also never work out. Like I've worked out probably four hours total in my life. So, <laughs> you know, I'm on the other extreme. So neither, neither of us are average, but at least we're comfortable with who we are, which is, is part of the journey. But I think one of the things you talk about in your TEDx talk that I wanted you to touch here is toxic leadership. Cause I'm, I'm so sick and tired. That's what really made it difficult for me to stay in corporate America was not just the corporate politics, but also whenever it's the opposite of open book management philosophy and where like everyone's on the same team, but instead it's more of a, like you were saying about a scarcity mindset or even having billionaires who are paying their vendors late and stuff like that. It's like, it's really difficult to convince yourself that what you're doing is right. When you see this kind of toxicity at the work, at the workplace. Yeah. Toxic leadership is a global problem. And that was one of my biggest failures as well. And in fact, what you're talking about is my second TEDx talk on confessions of a toxic leader. So I describe how I became a toxic leader and how I had to confront it and Mm -hmm. then make a change and what people can do to help other toxic leaders come out of the closet, right? So that was the theme. But coming back to my story, Mm -hmm. so growing up in an Asian community, when I entered the workforce, I worked in a really hierarchical uh, organization, like hierarchical structure. That's that's how it is in India. Mm-hmm. And whenever you ask questions, you used to get reprimanded for it. 
when you challenge the status quo, then people think you're really annoying and then you get crucified for it, right? And this kind of continued throughout the four or five years I was working in India. And here in the United States, there's a lot of freedom to do different things. But the point is, my childhood trauma of going through all that experiences, which we just talked about, and working with other toxic leaders in India had made me act and think like one. I had become a toxic leader and I didn't realize it because I had this constant fear of fear, fear of being ignored, which was one of the fears. So when I actually entered the tech space, I made a decision that everyone is going to respect me. I'm going to build as much fame and credibility as possible that there'll be no doubt that I am the best there is and no one will ever, ever disrespect me. And that was my mentality because again, because of my childhood trauma. And now when once I started leading teams, when I had all this power to make decisions, I decided that, you know what? People are going to listen to me whether they like it or not. And then I uh, had to cut get caught red-handed, which you'll know the story if you uh, see my talk, to confront my actions. And since then, I realized that, you know, toxic leaders are not actually bad human beings. It's just that they are in environments of stress. They are constantly being ignored. They have trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of whether they recognize it and then decide to make a change. And Toxic leadership is a huge problem in organizations as well. For example, WeWork. WeWork uh, start, started by Adam Newman. It was once worth $47 billion. It was one of the fastest growing startup in history. Then it started in 2010. And the way he motivated this. Was that the, um, was that the, uh, the, the co-working space? Yeah, co-working okay. space. Yeah, co-working space, we work, right? And there's a documentary about it and stuff. He motivated his team by saying that they're going to solve world hunger. They're going to uh, make the world a better place and in the process, get rich, right? And that's how he motivated the people. So everyone wanted to follow whatever he says blindly. But mm -hmm. the more success he saw, the more of his toxic traits came out. And then in 2019, he was forced out of his own company. And by the time he left, the company's value had reduced by $37 billion, right? So th this is a global problem and yeah. it's affecting a lot of employees. So the way to reduce it is first, people, rec toxic leaders recognizing that they're not alone. There are a lot of toxic leaders. You, you have a good support system. You can come out, be vulnerable. Vulnerability mm -hmm. is key. Second thing is getting help. It could be your trusted partner. It could be a boss, trusted boss or therapist, anyone who, who could actually give, an, give you an objective view of what is actually happening. And third thing is realizing that it's never too late to make a change. You, you, you can always make a change if you want. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my biggest realizations because all this, well, I thought fame and money was everything. But then when I switched the lens to offering value mm -hmm. people to people and being in the act of service, that's when the whole thing changed. So I also had to go through again, a low point in my, yeah. in my quest 
for fame and money and to uh, realize that true happiness could be when you when you impact people mm-hmm. and when you actually be in the act of service and that's when things actually happen when all big entrepreneurs and people say be in the act of service be in the act of service i thought it was all voodoo stuff and they're just bullshitting but once i went through my own experiences mm-hmm. that's when i realized you know what that's true and a byproduct of that would be money fame and credibility but that's not the goal yeah so and and also because of all this um, toxic leadership which i was doing and the the unrealistic expectations i had on myself mm-hmm. i suffered severe burnout I, and i had to get admitted in the er uh, where i was diagnosed with severe dehydration stress and burnout and then i had to make a change right so that's kind of the story and uh taxi leaders can change if they want to change have you read the book the go giver not yet okay well you should and i'm writing a book myself which is called when givers meet which is about not just being to use uh, to your point providing value giving 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 but when you find someone else who's doing the same thing and giving back you get in this like battle see who can out give one another and then really cool things start happening pretty quickly afterwards if you're both really truly of that mindset because you're always just trying to outdo the it's like an arms race in the best possible way to outgive the other one and uh and so I'm writing a book I'm partway through it and by writing it I mean I'm dictating it and having AI transcribe it cuz I have ADHD so I cannot like sit down uh, and write a whole book right but I can certainly dictate um a lot of it so that's this this is also this book uh, give and take by Adam Grant and it's he uses research and experiences to tell people how the givers have been more successful than the takers mm-hmm. so i highly recommend that book as well it's called give and take by adam grant who's a organizational psychologist so I'll check that out cuz also i think now in our social media day of social audio and social video it's a lot harder to pretend to be a giver you'll eventually get found out and it'll be quicker yep. than you know if it was a blog with text or something like that like it's really hard to come across consistently and lie when it's through audio or video i mean especially live whenever this like i just hit my mic so like uh when whenever you're doing anything live it's really tough for them to keep up that act for a long time without you seeing some of the the like gaps in their armor and so i think over time as i mean everyone says authenticity is huge but who knows who's giving authenticity you know it's hard to tell sometimes but with the way that social media is going in terms of people want to understand who the person is and what their objectives are it's a lot harder to maintain that over a long period of time so i think uh based on what you've said about adam grant's book it seems like he's right that the givers will eventually win out but it might not seem that way and you shouldn't even be doing it with that in mind you should just be trying to give without getting anything in return that's really when it starts coming back without you trying and one thing to add to this conversation is being a giver does not mean that you cannot get paid for your services or you cannot let people know about what you offer or have no boundaries people have this wrong notion that yeah. if if uh 
you say, if you have a post saying, hey, I'm starting a group coaching program to help people level up in their careers, uh, you know, check it out. And of course, you're going to charge for it because this is the thing. On the other end, if you don't get paid for your services, that means you're not valuing your own skill set. You're doing an injustice to yourself. Mm -hmm. And your service is going to impact other people and change lives, right? So you deserve. And even just paying, sorry, even just paying for a course makes you more likely to complete it than if it was free, you know? Exactly. It's just like, again, going to uh, the gym. If you spend so much money, then you're forced to go to the gym because you have to. <laughs> no, but the point I keep using gym because I'm uh, I don't mind my my way to de-stress is working out. Mm -hmm. So but the point is like Orange Theory, the gym yep. works on that strategy. You pay money, mm -hmm. a, a, a lot of money, and then it forces you to actually attend the session and you get penalized if you don't attend the session. So you need some sort of incentive for the other person to take the relationship seriously, the coaching relationship or whatever relationship you're in. Mm -hmm. And you as a coach or a service provider, you have to value your own skill set because if you're going to give everything for free, then you're not valuing your own skill set. So there's a fine distinction. Just because you charge for something doesn't mean you're not a giver. So you really need to follow that person, as you said, and then figure out, okay, what, what is he or she really doing? And then... If you see trends in mm -hmm. he or she being in offering service to people, then, okay, you know, okay, he's a good person or not, right? So, yeah. so do your research. Again, just because one post you saw on uh, Instagram or LinkedIn doesn't mean a person is good or bad. You mm -hmm. need to have history to make that decision. So don't immediately judge a person that's what i'm trying yeah. to say i mean you you're always giving if what you're charging them is less than what value you're giving them if they're paying four hundred dollars for something that's really worth two thousand dollars i mean you can always add more value to what you're giving and still charge whatever it is that you think is what you deserve because as long as you add more value than you're taking in money you know you're still giving if that makes yeah. sense. yeah and giving can Again, you shouldn't care about what other people think about you. Again, I'm coming to that Easier point. Easier said than done, but I, I had to do it a year and a half of that on my license plate failure in order to not care what people think. Yeah, I know, but it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I didn't radically change this mindset. Still, things may bother me, but then I get over it before I used, didn't get over it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the point is you, you have to figure out what giving means to you. For example... So I do coaching programs, right? I do one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. I work with mid to senior level folks in the tech space and I have group coaching programs. Every year, I do at least four to five pro bono work. Mm -hmm. What that means is I help four to five people for free and based on their financial situation, based on their background. That is mm -hmm. my way of giving. I also have an online shop where you can you know, find merchandise like this with inspirational quotes because I wear only things which inspires me. And majority of the money goes for charity and the rest is for maintaining the website, pretty much it. So that is my version of giving. Yeah. So you have to figure out, okay, what giving actually means to you mm -hmm. and whether 
you're true to your conscience because at the end of the day, you have to answer to yourself. You know, if you want to sleep better, if you don't want to feel guilty, you have to answer to yourself whether are you actually living by what you preach? Mm -hmm. If not, how do you make the change? So that's what you need to be thinking about. I would highly recommend this book if you've never read it. It's from 1968. Oh, yeah, it's it's in my uh, list of books to read. It's not that big. I haven't even finished it yet because you're supposed to do these things 30 days at a time and I'm still on the first one, but I would read it to you, but I've read it. I've not even read it on the podcast, but I've just read it a bunch. And so I don't want to waste uh, any a bunch of time. I'm taking notes to make sure these uh, books are added in my list. So, But that's a great one. It's Og, Og Mandino is the guy's name, but so, is there anything else on the subject of failure that you want to mention before I get into the last two questions, which are more forward-looking type of stuff? No, I think uh, we pretty much uh, mentioned that failure is part of the journey and just embrace it, you know? So I think I covered a lot of the stuff in my own life. Yeah. I'd say it's impossible to succeed without it. but Yeah, it's impossible to succeed without failures. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I have not found that that's the way. So being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card. This is just a Visa gift card, but I'm going to pretend to hand this to you. You can take it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. So get out of fail free card. So it's similar to the Monopoly card. But in this instance, you can pursue a hobby or a passion or something that you've avoided because of the amount of failure that's involved. So when you were saying earlier about watching public speakers who are good and bad, it reminds me of stand-up comedy and how all comedians have to go up and bomb on stage. And so I have avoided that because I know that's part of that process. And I would probably use the card for that. Is there something you would use to get out of fail free card if you could? Huh? I would say, I mean, actor, you could be a superhero villain. You could be, I don't care, whatever it no, is. No, no, no. Learning to break dance is something which I always wanted to do. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty flexible, but the point is <laughs> I always make a fool of myself. But yeah, break dancing is one thing which I always wanted to try because I think it's super cool watching other mm -hmm. people do it. And also it makes you flexible and fitter. Uh, to a certain extent based on how often you do it. So that would be something which I definitely would would try out eventually. So. Did you ever see Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo? No, no. <laughs> you don't have to, it's, but it's, it's a breakdancing movie. It's a sequel. Um, and then I guess the last question, and I don't guess because I always ask the same two at the end, is what are you going to fail at next? What's the next thing you're going to approach with uncertainty and fail until you nail it oh yeah so i actually have a couple of things um i'm gonna cheat and say two things one is um i'm launching my online course mm -hmm. in a couple of months i've never ever ever launched an online course i have no clue of what to do how to do it and now i'm figuring stuff out i can help you 100 percent. i know that i'm gonna you know have some failures there but yeah i'm gonna I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be a good learning experience. Second thing is I want to speak for a living. Till now, I didn't uh, technically use speaking as a revenue stream. It is something which I do. 
mm-hmm. because I love speaking. But this year onwards, I want to speak for a living and I already can see how competitive the market is. Although I have all these social proof, you know, it's still, you know, it's hard to get people take you seriously. So I am facing a lot of failures in mm-hmm. right now and uh, I'm embracing it and I'm going to keep trying. So those are the two things which I'm looking forward to. Well, that's awesome. And then, so can you tell our listeners where's the best place to find you? What kind of things do you want to point them to? There's the book Skyrocket Your Career. Is that what it's called? Or is it Skyrocketing? Yeah, Skyrocket Your Career, The No Bullshit Approach to Find Your Dream Job, Be Successful in It, and Transform a Rockstar. So the way to support me or connect with me would be go to the skyrocketyourcareerbook.com and there you you can download the first chapter for free and you can figure out whether it's your cup of tea. And you have a lot of free templates and resources you can download, which is going to really help you. You don't even have to buy the book. Then all my life's work and the way I help people, all my publication stats are there on my website. It's rasubra.com, which is R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com. There you'll find ways to connect with me and also know what I do and how I do it. And finally, I live on LinkedIn. So literally just follow me and then ping me there because six days a week I post content on LinkedIn and it it's re- related to different topics we also talked about today. So make sure you follow me there, connect with me there, and I would be, you know, more than glad to, you know, have a conversation. So those are the ways to connect and support me. And of course, I'm going to send you all the information which you can put in the show notes yeah, and for sure. people can figure stuff out from there. And I've been on LinkedIn for 15 years and now I'm finally giving in and going. That's why I'm weirdly doing a lot of networking on that because I'm like, that's where my Excel people are. That's where my people that I got to reach are, but it's been so boring seeming for so long. Meaning as an ADHD guy, I want to just be dump jumping around. I've already been called a robot by this, by the platform already because of how much, (laughs) how many profiles I'm looking at or whatever, but I just need to gamify it in order to make it work for me because I've, struggled to embrace that one but now that i've seen the the positive results from it i would highly suggest people actually give it a chance because it's it's a very powerful platform and they're changing things for the better you know with the linkedin audio rooms and linkedin lives and things like that it's uh yeah a lot more interesting so i just wanted to thank you for coming on the show and being vulnerable and sharing your story i'm sure you're very comfortable with it at this point but it's i just uh, at least appreciate you taking the time out to uh talk to my listeners and i hope Everything goes well with the course and also uh, any other future endeavors you get to approach on your way towards figuring it out. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time and giving me an opportunity to share my story. And hopefully, even if one or one or two of your listeners were inspired by some of the things we discussed, then I think we've done our job. So thank you. Yeah. And if you are out there, whoever you are, reach out to one of us and tell us because I don't hear enough from you all. So tell me. Or tell Raj. Either way. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons Plus, it comes along with my master workbook, which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. 
As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.